Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to the Black Star Podcast, part of the BFI's nationwide celebration of the range, power, and versatility of black actors. I'm Ashley Clark programmer of the Black Star film season at London's BFI Southbank. Over six weekly episodes, we're telling the stories of six black stars and looking at how they helped shape the landscape of Hollywood and beyond. Last week's black star was Oscar Michaud, the entrepreneur, maverick and trailblazer of black independent cinema who fought against the racism of D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation and has only recently gotten his dues. This week, a more familiar Oscar shapes our story, the coveted Academy Award. First time I saw you walk on by, you've got the look. The talk of the town and the queen of style, you've got the look. Back in February 1940, history was made. A true legend of the screen, the talented and charismatic Hattie McDaniel, a 44-year-old Kansas native, became the first black actor to win an Oscar. It is with the knowledge that this entire nation will stand and salute the presentation of this plaque that I present the Academy Award for the best performance of an actress in supporting roles during 1939 to Hattie McDaniel. That was the actor and singer Faye Bainter, and here is Hattie. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of the awards. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. And I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And may I say thank you and God bless you. A touching moment for sure, even if the idea of an actor needing to be a credit to their race might sound a bit jarring today. Let's throw back to Faye Bainter for a moment here too. I'm really especially happy that I'm chosen to present this particular plaque. To me it seems more than just a plaque of gold. It opens the doors of this room, moves back the walls, and enables us to embrace the whole of America. Again. Sounds nice, right? An America that, almost alone in the world today, recognizes and pays tribute to those who give their best, regardless of creed, race, or color.
Consider these facts. At the ceremony, McDaniel was forced to sit at a separate table as she accepted her award in a segregated No Blacks hotel. It was a fate McDaniel had known all her life. She was born in 1895, a year before a historic Supreme Court decision upheld the legality of segregation. Consider also the role for which McDaniel was being rewarded. She played Mammy, the motherly maid to heroine Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, an epic which painted a sentimental portrait of the racially divided American South. Just hold on and suck in. Mammy, here's for Scarlett's vickles. You can take it all back to the kitchen. I won't need to buy it. Oh, yes, and you is. You was going to eat every mouthful of this. Throughout her career, McDaniel was pigeonholed as the Mammy archetype. Sometimes these maids smuggled in sass and spirit, but mostly they were happy to serve, one of the only roles black women were really allowed to play. In fact, out of McDaniel's 94 credits on IMDb, a staggering 74 are domestic roles. It's hard for any actor of any colour to break free of typecasting. For Hattie, a black woman who lived with segregation, it was almost impossible. I think she probably resigned herself to do the best she could with the opportunities that she had that availed themselves to her. That's Charlene Register, Associate Professor in the Department of African, African American and Diaspora Studies at the University of North Carolina. So I think she was like, even though this may not be what I want to have, let me take advantage of this opportunity and exploit it and, you know, do the best that I can with the talent that I have. So I think that's how she might have negotiated it or internalized the practices that she was subjected to. As McDaniel herself was reported to have said, I'd rather play a maid than be a maid. But let's come back to Hattie later. After all, since we're talking about an award that was handed out three quarters of a century ago, it might seem that we're dealing with ancient history. However, that issue of limited roles for black actors is one that's never really gone away. The Civil Rights Movement and the introduction of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 broke down a great deal of the legal divisions separating black and white America. But stereotypes persisted and shape-shifted in strange ways. When I was a kid, black men on the screen were always, always fooled. The electrifying author and social critic James Baldwin was one of the sharpest commentators on the matter. That's him talking at the BFI South Bank in 1986. Seven Fetcher, there was Nantan Morland. People were always afraid of ghosts, afraid of white men, afraid of white women, obviously. They were never, hardly ever in the same frame with a white woman. So the nature of the sophistication is such that in every generation the stereotype seems to change. But if you examine it, the black image carries the same intention. Baldwin was good friends with Sidney Poitier, who became the first black winner of the Best Actor Oscar for his role in Lilies of the Field in 1964. But Baldwin wasn't afraid to criticise the system which employed his friend or the roles he had to play. I think about In the Heat of the Night, the black cat, who was also the hero, he is simply the, uh, the hero who's tracking down the murderer or, you know, the, the, uh, the evildoer. He is a kind of surrogate conscience for the white people uh, who has no other validity, has no other reason for being in the film. 
It's the only film, reason for being in the film is to save the white people in the film. Baldwin went further. For him, there was no way that the representation of black characters could be realistic, not while the majority of filmmakers were white. The story of black history was, for him, being popularized by people who had nothing to do with its writing. The life that a black person leads in the West is a very different life than white people imagine him to lead, a very different life than anybody wants to imagine anyone can lead. And this life, led by non-white people in every capital of the Western world, does not say anything about black people, alas. It says everything about the people who do not want to see the lives led by their brothers and their sisters because of their power and because of their unwillingness to look in the face the results of their history and the results of their power. Jump forward a fair few years and unsurprisingly the sentiment remains. Here's Ama Asante, director of Bell and a United Kingdom. The majority of stories that we've seen on screen have been about a portion of society, only a portion of society, and that the rest of us as women, as men, as people of colour, of all different ages, at some point in our lives have bought into the idea that that's what film is about. Asante and Baldwin are separated by decades, but they're on the same page. What they're saying is that cinema is not only a reflection of people who make it, but that the world can be changed by what we see on screen. With that in mind, let's look specifically at the last three black women to have won Academy Awards. In 2013, Lupita Nyong'o, in 12 Years a Slave, played an abused slave. 500 pounds of cotton, day in, day out, more than any man here. In 2009, Monique, in Precious, played an abusive mother on welfare. I didn't want him to hurt my baby. Miss Wise, I didn't want him to hurt my baby. And right in the middle, in 2011, Octavia Spencer played, that's right, a maid in The Help. Slide your chair from under that table. Face me. I need to see you squirm at all times. This is not to criticise the evident quality of the performances or damn the films themselves, but a pattern emerges. Images of pain, suffering and servitude, rewarded by the establishment, a reflection of a society that is still struggling to get to grips with the idea of true diversity on screen. Earlier this year, as the Oscars So White controversy mounted, New York Times journalist Brandon K. Thorpe attempted to map that pattern out. He watched all of the 28 films that include the 30 performances by black actors that were Oscar nominated. With a few exceptions, he found some depressing results. There was an incredibly limited number of social contexts in which American prestige cinema seemed willing to show us black performers. That's Brandon describing the findings of his article, headlined, What Does the Academy Value in a Black Performance? Black women have been nominated for Best Actress on 10 occasions. Nine out of the 10 played characters who were either homeless or on the verge of homelessness. Half of all the nominated black actresses were nominated for roles in which they got raped. These are apparently the stories we want to see and tell about black women. Of the 20 performances for which men were nominated for best actor, 13 of those characters are uh, arrested or go to jail or otherwise imprisoned during their role. And so that's actually 65%. And in reality, in the non-celluloid version of the United States, 32% of black men end up incarcerated at some point. So that's a horrendous statistic. But I think that it's 
fantastically sad that the black men of America's collective imagination are even less free. Put bluntly, we're all susceptible to the influence of the movies, so we're all ready to be primed. If a film shows you the character of a black female executive, you're more ready for a black female executive in your office. If a film shows you a subservient maid, again and again, you expect one in real life. Hattie McDaniel's contemporaries certainly did. I have to imagine that there's a certain deadening that occurs in the imagination if you just never see yourself represented doing anything other than, you know, boxing or going to jail. Brandon there is talking about the great power and the limits of representation. But is it all doom and gloom? Curiously, one of the few positive roles black actors have been able to play regularly is a pretty big one. Because there were a few films that featured blacks in the role of a president of a country, particularly the United States, there was an article that appeared in the New York Times which said that these films prepared audiences to actually see a black become president. That's Charlene Register. This was consistent with things that they had seen on screen, so it made the transition easier somehow. Did seeing James Earl Jones, Morgan Freeman or Dennis Haysbert play the leader of the free world prep America for a black president? Perhaps. But the bigger point is that it's not just about seeing more people of colour on screen. It's about what those people are seen to do. Let's get back to Hattie. Her success was bittersweet and came at a price. The NAACP disowned her for perpetuating negative stereotypes. Even after death, her Oscar, which she left to the historically black University Howard, was deemed valueless by appraisers and later went missing from the school. It has remained so for more than 40 years. Some people think it was removed from Howard during a civil rights protest. That's a bit too convenient for others who think Hattie's Oscar a six-inch plaque, not the golden statue we're used to today, is stowed away in a collection, its true value yet to be appreciated. The same could be said of Hattie herself. She compromised because she had to. She may have stayed quiet about the social ills of her time because of fear, peer pressure, or even self-interest. But ultimately, it's hard to ignore the tragedy in her story. Her final wish, to be buried in the Hollywood Cemetery, was denied. They didn't bury black stars. A monument to her was erected in the cemetery some 40 years later. Even then Hattie was seen in some quarters as ripe for a punchline. Black film star gets the plot she always wanted, read the pun-happy headline in the Times. Long after her death in 1952, the story of Hattie McDaniel remains a moving and complicated reminder of what it has meant to be black and successful in Hollywood how difficult it is to succeed on your own terms. McDaniel perpetuated a stereotype and played up to the crowd, but she deserves our respect. In her moment, for her time, she was a black star. Thanks for listening to episode two of the Black Star podcast. Next week, we'll be looking at a hero of the civil rights movement who also happened to be a movie star. Harry Belafonte. For more information on Blackstar, visit www.bfi.org.uk 
forward slash black hyphen star. For collected writings on the Black Star season, check out the BFI Black Star Compendium, which is available now at the BFI shop and online. Hi all, Henry Barnes, producer of the Black Star Podcast here. I'm sat in the basement of the BFI Stephen Street building over an old Steenbeck reel-to-reel editing machine, which looks amazing. Anyway, credits this week. The Black Star Podcast was co-written and presented by Ashley Clark, co-written and produced by me, Henry Barnes, and had additional production by Peter Sale. This episode includes a clip of Hattie McDaniel accepting her Oscar in 1939, owned by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It also includes short clips from the following... Gone with the Wind, directed by Victor Fleming, produced by Selznick International Pictures and Metro-Golden-Mayer, and released in 1939. Twelve Years a Slave, directed by Steve McQueen, produced by Summit Entertainment, Regency Enterprises, River Road Entertainment, Plan B Entertainment, New Regency Productions, and Film 4 Productions, and released in 2013. Precious, directed by Lee Daniels, produced by Lee Daniels Entertainment, Smokewood Entertainment, Harpo Films, 34th Street Films, and released in 2009. And The Help, directed by Tate Taylor, produced by DreamWorks Pictures, Reliance Entertainment, Participant Media, Image Nation, 1492 Pictures, Harbringer Pictures, and released in 2011. Phew, that's your lot. One more thing, you can now send your suggestions of what we should be podding about to our new special podcast email address. That's podcast at bfi.org.uk. That's podcast at bfi.org.uk. Thanks for listening. See you again next week. 